0: Part Two, Chapter Three of Men, Women, and Guns. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Men, Women, and Guns by H. C. Sapper McNeil. Part Two, Chapter Three The Woman and the Man. When's your board, Jim? The flickering light of the fire lit up the old oak hall, playing on the face of the girl buried in an easy-chair. Tea was over, and they were alone. "'On Tuesday, dear,' he answered gravely. "'But you aren't fit, old man. You don't think you're fit yet, do you?' There was a note of anxiety in her voice. "'I'm perfectly fit, Sybil,' he said quietly. "'Perfectly fit, my dear.' "'Then you'll go back soon?' She looked at him with frightened eyes. "'Just as soon as they'll send me.' I'm going to ask the board to pass me fit for general service. Oh, Jim, he hardly caught the whisper. Oh, Jim, my man. Well, he came over and knelt in front of her. It makes me sick, she cried fiercely, to think of you and Hugh and men like you, and then to think of all those other cowardly beasts. My dear, my dear, do you want to go back? At present I don't. I'm utterly happy here with you and the old peaceful country life i'm afraid sib i'm afraid of going on with it i'm afraid of it sapping my vitality i'm afraid of never wanting to go back his voice died away and then suddenly he leaned forward and kissed her on the mouth come over here a moment he stood up and drew her to him come over here with his arm round her shoulders he led her over to a great portrait in oils that hung against the wall the portrait of a stern-faced soldier in the uniform of a forgotten century to the girl the picture of her great-grandfather was not a thing of surpassing interest she had seen it too often before but she was a girl of understanding and she realized that the soul of the man beside her was in the melting-pot and moreover that she might make or mar the mould into which it must run so in her wisdom she said nothing and waited i want you to listen to me for a bit sib he began after a while i'm not much of a fist at talking especially on things i feel very deeply about i can't track my people back like you can the corresponding generation in my family to that old buster was a junior inkslinger in a small counting-house up north and that junior inkslinger's made good you know what i'm worth today. if the governor died he started to pace restlessly up and down the hall while the girl watched him quietly then came this war and i went into it not for any highfalutin motives not because i longed to avenge belgium but simply because my pals were all soldiers or sailors and it never occurred to me not to in fact at first i was rather pleased with myself i treated it as a joke more or less the governor was inordinately proud of me the mater had about twelve dozen photographs of me in uniform sent round the country to various bored and unwilling recipients and lots of people combined to tell me what a damn fine fellow i was do you think he'd have thought so he stopped underneath the portrait and for a while gazed at the painted face with a smile that old blaggard up there who lived every moment of his life do you think he would have accounted that to me for credit What would he say if he knew that in a crisis like this there are men who cloak perfect sight behind blue glasses, that there are men who have joined home defence units, though they are perfectly fit to fight anyway? And what would he say, Sybil, if he knew that a man, even though he'd done something, was now resting on his oars content? Go on, dear. The girl's eyes were shining now. I'm coming to the point. This morning the old dad started on the line of various fellows he knew whose sons hadn't been out yet and he didn't see why i should go a second time before they went the business instinct to a certain extent i suppose the point of view of a business man but would he understand that again he nodded to the picture i think she began to speak and then fell silent ah but would he my dear what of hugh of the rabbit of torps with them it was bred in the bone with me it was not for years i and mine have despised the soldier and the sailor for years you and yours have despised the counting-house and all that is changing. Over there the tinkers, the tailors, the merchants, are standing together with the old breed of soldier. The two lots are beginning to understand one another, to respect one another. You're learning from us, and we're learning from you, though he never would have believed that possible. Jim was standing very close to the girl, and his voice was low. It's because I'm not very sure of one of the lessons I've learnt. It's because at times I do think it hard that others should not take their fair share, that I must get back to that show quick, damn quick. I want to be worthy of that old ancestor of yours, now that I'm going to marry one of his family. I know we're all mad. I know the world's mad. But, Sib, dear, you wouldn't have me sane, would you? Not forever. And I shall be if I stay here any longer. I understand, Jim," she answered after a while. I understand exactly. And I wouldn't have you sane, except just now, for a little while. Because it's a glorious madness, and— She put both her arms round his neck and kissed him passionately. And I love you which was quite illogical and inconsequent, but there you are, what is not illogical and inconsequent nowadays, from which it will be seen that Jim Denver was not of the first of the three types which I have mentioned. He did not love the game for itself alone. My masters, there are not many who do, but there was no job in England in which he would prove invaluable, though there were many which with a little care he might have adorned beautifully. And just because there is blood in the counting-house, which only requires to be brought out to show itself, he knew that he must go back, He knew that it was his job. That wild enthusiasm which he had shared with the other subalterns in his battalion before they had been over the first time, was lacking now. He was calmer, more evenly balanced. He had attained the courage of knowledge instead of the courage of ignorance. No longer did the men who waited to be fetched excuse him, even though he had done his bit. No longer was it possible to shelter behind another man's failure, and plead for so-called equality of sacrifice. To him had come the meaning of tradition that strange nameless something which has kept regiments in a position battered with shells stunned with shock gassed brain reeling mind gone with nothing to hold them except that nameless something which says to them hold on while other regiments composed of men as brave have not held to him had come that quality which has sent men laughing and talking without a quaver to their death that quality which causes men eaten with fever lonely weary to death thinking themselves forsaken even of god to carry on the empire's work in the uttermost corners of the globe simply because it is their job he had assimilated to a certain extent the ideas of that stern dead soldier he had visualized them he had realized that the destinies of a country are not entrusted to all her children many are not worthy to handle them which makes the glory for the few all the greater winds of the world give answer they are whimpering to and fro and what should they know of england who only england know the poor little street-bred People that vapour and fume and brag they are lifting their heads in the stillness to Yelp at the English flag. Never the lotus closes, never the wild-fowl wake, but a soul goes out on the East Wind that died for England's sake, man or woman or suckling, mother or bride or maid, because on the bones of the English the English flag is stayed. End of part Two, Chapter Three.